And then with that, overnight ended up with 500 users who proved that actually what we had built worked. And then we used that to raise just over a million dollars to build a proper team. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Charles Breck, founder and CEO of Legislate, a legal tech startup which makes it easy for non-lawyers to safely create, manage, and search lawyer-approved contracts with no legal budget. Charles was one of the first employees of MindFoundry, an Oxford University spin-out specializing in automated data science and AI. As an engineering graduate of the École Centrale de Lyon, Charles both mastered MindFoundry's technology and built up its commercial presence. Charles, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you. Thank you, Carol, for having me. You are welcome. Uh, so you're building contract management software built on patented knowledge graph technology, which makes contract data usable and searchable at scale. Is that, I mean, is that the problem that you're solving? That's, that's primarily the problem, I guess, from a technical perspective. Um, to wind back to, you know, in, in real world terms, what does that mean? Well, when I was at MindFoundry, I was creating contracts with clients and finding myself waiting for lawyers on both ends of the table to accept or make amendments. And it would drag on for weeks, months, and in multiple occasions, we're actually losing contracts post-contract negotiation because during that time, buyers were promoted or buyers would lose budget, and it was extremely frustrating. And that's when I thought, well, why are we losing these contracts? It's because the contracts are lawyer-readable, meaning they require a lawyer to approve the next step. So I thought if we could make contracts machine-readable, so effectively treating contracts as data objects, then technology could be used to streamline that process and keep lawyers at a safe distance and delegate the contract creation uh, and management process to buyers who are not lawyers, but you know, are involved in the day-to-day negotiation of the contracts. So that's the the problem that we're solving. So, so is it is it totally negating an attorney to look over it? So we have our own legal team that review the the templates and um, adapt them so that they can be fitted into our technology. But we're not trying to replace lawyers. What we're trying right. to do is allow them to delegate the contract negotiation or contract drafting work to, you know, other colleagues Someone who are not lawyers, expensive. but right. actually need those contracts. You know, like most, um, most sales reps, they need to generate NDAs. Depending on whether there is a legal process or not, they often wait for their, you know, general counsel or, you know, someone who's qualified to provide those NDAs, adapt them to each and every client. Um, and that takes time. And 
generally speaking, lawyers are time poor, and they also don't necessarily enjoy, you know, working on these simple low-value contracts. And you know, it, that's why we we feel like legislate is compatible with legal teams. It's just really about um, empowering the non-legal team members so that legal team can focus on the higher value, higher priority tasks. Yeah. Well, and and that makes sense. You know, I I always say, you know, work within your genius and spend money for someone else to work in theirs or whatever that might look like, right? Don't waste your time doing things that somebody else could be doing for you. That's right. So that's, that's fantastic. So uh, you were privately held. You founded the company just uh, over two years ago in April of 2020 in the midst of a pandemic. <laughs> and uh, you are currently, you've taken in uh, uh, um, in U.S. dollars uh, about $1.6 million through your angel and seed round. What has your investors excited about what you're doing at Legislate? Yeah, that's uh, a good question, um, especially given the fact that, you know, I, I maybe didn't have much uh, professional experience before starting Legislate. Yes. And we're going to talk about you know, that. I think, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I recognized my, th- that I didn't actually have much of a network or much of a track record. And I really worked with Mind Foundry's early angels initially for them to, you know, who knew me, who knew what I had achieved at Mind Foundry um, to say, I want to start this company because we want to, you know, solve this problem. But I think what really excited uh, the angels initially is that we were using knowledge graph technology. And the thing about knowledge graphs is no one's really heard of them, or at least you know more and more people are hearing right. of them. But, but ultimately, knowledge graphs are how Google makes the web searchable. It's how LinkedIn recommends connections and is effectively an intelligent type of database that is capable of inferring relationships and navigating tangled data extremely efficiently. Interesting. And if you think about a contract, a contract is a tangled set of relationships. The data is tangled. There are rules around how the data can be assembled together. And that's why I thought, well, knowledge graphs are perfect for contracts. So I presented them with the idea. They thought it was, you know, perfect and thought, why not? Let's see what can happen. That's really interesting. I mean, what's the competitive landscape in your market? So I guess like with every competitive landscape, there are, you know, different dimensions. And I'd say from a knowledge graph dimension, there really, you know, isn't anyone else who's looking at contracts with this lens of treating them as knowledge graphs. That's also how we were able to obtain two patents, so patents that have been granted mm. in the US in terms of how we Wonderful. model documents with knowledge graphs because it, it's still a very uh, nascent space. So from the technological perspective, um, we're pretty unique. And in terms of a product perspective, we're also unique in the sense that most legal tech companies, they're focused on optimizing legal teams or lawyers which mm-hmm. is great if you're a lawyer or a legal team, but the majority of businesses and small businesses don't actually have a lawyer or a legal team. So we've built a mm-hmm. platform that is powerful enough for lawyers to use, but ultimately easy enough for non-lawyers to use. 
And we've got the controls in place, thanks to the knowledge graph, to, to qualify the data that is going into the system so that when you're creating a contract on Legislate, you'll never end up with a contract which is not enforceable or has terms which are inconsistent together. So on the positioning side, you know, as a legal tech focused on non-lawyers, obviously we can be used by lawyers, but as a legal tech focused on non-lawyers, we're also pretty unique. Charles, so is, is your marketplace SMB? So today we're starting with uh, SMB, but if you think about, you know, which companies have the most amount of contracts, have the most amount of data, and know the least about what's in their contracts, you know, that that sounds just like enterprise mm-hmm. companies. So right. we're starting with uh, SMBs <laughs> yeah. and startups, but we plan mm-hmm. to go up the chain and uh, you know go enterprise. So, but you you mentioned that it's you know typical for companies or people you know who don't have legal teams. I mean, enterprise companies, you know, generally have a you know, general counsel. So how does that work then? Yeah. So so the companies that we're going after now that don't have legal teams, it's more because mm-hmm. it's an easier sell. You know, because sure, because they don't actually have a legal team. There's no competition, and we can mm-hmm. very easily explain to them that this is a cost-effective solution for them, not only to create lawyer-approved contracts because we provide the templates and they're reviewed by a legal team and they're maintained and updated to always be up to date, but we, you know, we, we make it easy for them to track that data, um, which then unlocks new opportunities. But when we want to work with legal teams and some of our you know, clients do have legal teams, then it's more a question of uh, delegating you know, certain types of contracts to business users who need to create them but currently require legal input. And so um, I think general counsels and, and legal teams do actually, mm-hmm. you know, if they understand legislate from that perspective, they don't view us as a threat and more as a way of right. actually, you know, keeping this teams off their backs because, you know, everyone mm-hmm. for all those business users, their contract is their highest priority. But from the legal's mm-hmm. perspective, you know, it might be one item out of a huge pile of contracts or items to do. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, you know, as, as you mentioned, uh, as I said, I would get to, you know, you're a first-time founder, um, you know, and you only got out of school in 2017. So, you know, you spent three years at Mind Foundry and said, hey, got this great idea. So, so tell me about, you know, you as a first-time founder, where you have found your greatest challenges, first of all. So, yeah, when I started Legislate straight away, it was relatively easy to get the angel funding from the network of angels because they yep. knew exactly what I achieved, considering right. my lack of experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I yes. helped secure Mind Foundry's first, um, you know, ARR in, in, in SaaS sales. Um, and and I did take a very, you know, consultative approach where I would, you know, kind of determine, okay, who are we selling to? What can our technology do? Um, and, you know, did, did find success there. Mm-hmm. But um, I think once I got that 150,000, I thought everything else would be easy. And ultimately where I did struggle was to find a co-founder. I of course, was trying to yeah. obviously 
I started engineering. I knew how to code, but I I didn't necessarily know how to kill uh, code a application. So I thought, okay, mm-hmm. I need a CTO, and I tried. I almost had one. Um, and then you know he didn't quite have the guts to, you know, join my journey. Great. So in the end, just yeah. thought, okay, I'll be a solo founder. I'll learn how to code, and you know, I'll, mm. I'll just get on with it. And eventually, when mm-hmm. we did have a bit more of a product, um, managed to find uh, you know a, a CTO. Um, but even then, that didn't actually last too long because the CTO then wanted to do his own thing. So then, just ended up you know working with some consultants to build that first version, and right. we were Smart. a team of three. And, you know, somehow managed to get some early adopter clients because, as you said, it was the pandemic, which meant that, mm-hmm. you know, everyone still needed to create contracts during the pandemic, but all those contracts moved online. And especially, you know, a niche that we kind of um, discovered by accident was uh, property and rental agreements because, at least in the UK, a lot of those agreements were still signed you know, face-to-face, the landlord would show the tenant the property and then sign the contract there. They didn't want to do that because of COVID, understandably. So um, they identified Legislate as a good solution. You know, they didn't necessarily care too much about the data yet, but for, you know, we've got a massive portfolio of properties. We can't really meet all our tenants. Can we use Legislate? We thought, yes, you can. And then with that, overnight ended up with 500 users um, who proved that actually what we had built worked. And then we used that to raise um, just over a million dollars to build a proper team. And when we raised that million dollars, you know, it was, it wasn't easy because I also recognized that even if an investor says that they invest early stage, they're looking mm-hmm. for a specific type of founder that right. has a track record, you know, mm-hmm. in the corporate world, you know, McKinsey, you know, Goldman Sachs, you know, big brand, um, mm-hmm. you know, work experience, and already with an MVP prior to any funding, you know, which which all sounds impossible. So, again, I applied the same technique that I'd followed to get the angel funding. I just went to the VCs that invested in Mind Foundry to understand, okay, do you think based on my track record and what we've achieved so far? And also the fact that we are using really powerful knowledge graph technology that can really, you know, create this whole new market. Are you ready to join the journey? And and luckily they they said yes. But in hindsight, I, I definitely feel like uh, I've been very lucky. Neither the angels or the VC needed to, um, you know, join this journey. And um, and maybe there would have been some benefits of of starting a company later. You know that's that's another story, and 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 so far, you know, I, I can't complain as to where we are today. So, did you ever find a co-founder, or did, are you just staying the sole founder? So, so I stayed a solo founder, but obviously have a founding team that are still mm-hmm. with us. So our tech lead, um, you know, stepped in pretty much as soon as the CTO wanted to move on, and he's been great. Uh, mm-hmm. Since and you know is really doing a great job and um, I did actually start the company with a uh, legal advisor so who's now our chief okay. legal officer and Smart. she's she's always been with us mm-hmm. and um, our 
-hmm. Second uh, employee, who also on the legal side, um, has also been with us since and is doing a great job. So, so I feel like once I overcome that hurdle of getting the initial core team members, hiring became a lot easier because I was no longer a one-man band. And the fact right. that if, if these people actually had confidence in me and had confidence in the vision and the company, then you know that creates credibility for anyone else that we were reaching out to and trying to hire. Mm-hmm. And and what kind of steps are you taking, Charles, to for yourself as a first-time founder and CEO, or even if you were a second-time founder or third, um, to broaden or improve your own leadership skills and abilities? So as a first-time founder, I definitely have made a lot of mistakes and... Luckily, my team have been very patient with me. My investors have been very patient. So Mm -hmm. I've, I learned a lot, um, by doing so that I'd say in my first six months, I definitely learned a lot, but another thing that has really helped me has been mentors. Uh, I have great mentors in our investor base, but also other founders who are, you know, been there and done it and I'm I'm still on good terms with Mind Foundry CEO, who's been great at, um, you know, help help see maybe the lows as actually highs, and um, and I think you know working with well building a or at least networking with other founders has been a great way as well to kind of overcome that loneliness and also identify you know paths. Because we always hear about, you know, the great companies that have raised money or have all this revenue or all these mm-hmm. customers. But if you can actually sit down and, and speak with them, you can actually see, you know, maybe they were just really lucky. Or you can actually see that maybe they, mm-hmm. they followed this process and maybe I can try this process. So so I really like um, meeting other founders. And whenever I meet a new founder, that's something that I always try to, um, you know, offer is just, you know, I'm there if they need me. Mm-hmm. What are some of, can you give me a few examples of some of the mistakes you made early on? So I think when I was, um, you know, when I started, I was basically mm-hmm. just looking for uh, people who who had a certain set of skills. And so I was pretty much just looking at the CV. And yeah, based on the good. CV, I'd say, yep, they have everything yeah. we need. You know, full stack developer, mm-hmm. Java, Angular, et cetera. Let's go, let's hire quickly. And let's move on and, and build mm-hmm. this product. And I didn't realize, you know, after I'd hired them, but um, their personalities or the the, right. the culture would affect the culture of the company, which meant mm-hmm. that sometimes I wouldn't actually enjoy working because of that culture. And mm-hmm. I then got lucky with, you know, the the founding hires. And that's when I realized, hang on, you know, this is what it's meant to be like. And this, these are kind of the personal traits that I need to look for when we're hiring to mm-hmm. kind of build a great team that I'm comfortable working with and also um, uh, an environment where that yeah. team is compatible with me because I also realized that, um, you know, if, if, if someone in, a, in the team has too much of a high ego, then that tends to clash with me or they, you know, they tend to mm-hmm. not respect me as a leader, or at least back then. <laughs> right. It was, right. it was just me and 
you know so so i think working out you know what a looking out for personality traits you know obviously we want skills but you know we need to factor in personality traits we need to factor in culture and are they also compatible with me and now we've got a team it's are they also compatible with the team Mm -hmm. very good so you know you said you've got great mentors in your investor base were they not mentoring you through this initial process or did you did you go to did you seek that counsel from them after you'd made these mistakes so they were they were definitely uh, mentoring me, but um, I think also from from their perspective, they don't necessarily know, or they they couldn't have necessarily known what my weaknesses were until they were actually yeah. you know stressed. So, so right. I think um, you know they are they've always been there. I, I can always just call them um, and get some advice, and I think mm-hmm. they were great at helping me kind of remedy and also, yep, you know, in the moment, you know, if you've got to let someone go or if someone resigns, you know, how do you deal mm-hmm. with that? And I think they've been great at right. reminding me that um, they invested in me ultimately, and that's what matters. Mm-hmm. And they've provided great tips around, you know, how do you deal with certain things or how do you move on or what do you look for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are you finding your, your prospects? So right now we're lucky that 90% of our clients are organic. So they're finding us from our website. And this is partly because, as I mentioned at the start, we're targeting businesses that don't have lawyers, don't have a legal team, or uh, have a limited legal budget. So in hindsight, it's now obvious, but if if you don't want to use a lawyer but need a contract, you're probably going to Google for a contract. And when we started building, I did start writing articles um, as a way of keeping myself busy, as a way of crystallizing right. my uh, vision, but also as a way of explaining you know, certain legal concepts in simple terms, because legal jargon is you know, not easy to understand if you're not a lawyer. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, totally unnecessary. So we just put out content and all of a sudden started getting leads. And since we've doubled down on that strategy of putting out educative content, mm-hmm. um, which is easy to read, easy to find, easy to yep. digest. Yep. And that's how right now we're finding the majority of our prospects. Yeah, that's really smart. Um, you know, you you a lot of people don't realize you need to, I mean, I do the same thing, right, 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 right. Right. So that, you know, people can access your content and start to get an idea of what it is you're doing and how to, you know, do they need it and why do they need it? And, you know, then, you know, the phone rings and you get to have a conversation with somebody. Right. And that's where you can really dig into what their issues are. Right. So um, how many customers do you have? Are you willing to divulge that? Yeah. So we've um, recently crossed the 100 paying customer mark. And uh, we're now at 111. But in terms of total user base, we've got over 3,400 users. And the reason why there's a discrepancy between users and customers is because the way Legislate works is the customers are the contract creators and Mm -hmm. users who are invited to contracts, they sign up, but they don't need to pay. Yeah, right. Right. So they're, they're just viewing that contract that somebody else has paid for. 
Got it. Yeah. Um, I just had a question in mind, and it just left my brain. I hate when that happens. What What's your financial model? So we have the current business model that we're using. Um, I don't think is is the business model that we'll have in the future. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, we've just made it very simple for customers who are finding us to get started. So we have a usage-based model for customers that just want to create one contract or maybe a bundle of contracts, and so they're paying per contract. And then we mm-hmm. have a subscription model, which is more for businesses that you know create contracts regularly or need to access the data in their contracts on a regular basis. So those are the two models that we mm-hmm. have right now. However, where I think our business model will evolve in the future um, is that we'll, if you think about the data that's in a contract, or in, if you think about what a contract does, a contract describes services um, that need to be executed between the parties. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when you're hiring an employee, the employer then needs to pay the employee. Um, mm-hmm. If the employer, you know, is giving the employee a pension or giving them private medical insurance. These are all services that are described in the employment contract. So what we want to do, because we've made the data in the contracts usable, is we want to be able to offer all these services that are connected to the contract um, seamlessly via APIs. Because right now, because contracts are typically a PDF document, it requires someone from the HR team, someone from the finance team or whatever to first of all, locate the contract mm-hmm. and then sift through the contract and then set everything up manually, which takes time and is error prone. So, so I think in the future, you know, we'll, our customers will pay for the, the data analytics or mm-hmm. um, you know, for these services. How large of a market is the legal contracts market? So if you think about the two main contracts that we offer, rental agreements, and employment agreements. Um, Pretty much every single adult uh, has an employment contract. And Mm -hmm. at least in the UK, uh, two out of five people have um, a rental agreement. So just with those two specific contracts, um, you know, the the market is is pretty large. Uh, But I think from a, if we also take a step back and if we look at, you know, companies like DocuSign that focus only on e-signatures, mm-hmm. they've—I don't know what their latest market cap is uh, with the recent crash, but at one point they had a market cap of over forty billion dollars. Right. And considering that they are tackling e-signatures only, you know, if you can tackle <laughs> the data in the contracts, then it's yeah, it's even bigger than that. That's really, really fantastic. Uh, where are you from a standpoint of, uh, are you thinking about an A round yet? Are you going, are you starting to raise that round? So we currently have a number of partnerships in the works or that have been signed but are being activated over the next couple of months that will help us scale significantly our reach and customer base. These are partnerships Great. Um, with other software platforms to be able to offer legislate to their users. And Got these it. are also partnerships with um, company formation agents that incorporate businesses so that mm-hmm. entrepreneurs who are incorporating via those partners can have access to legislate. So we be over the next couple of months really, you know, 
increasing significantly our mm. number of clients. And yeah. at that point, we'll be uh, raising another funding round just to uh, keep up with demand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, it, and as you know, I mean, there's always a balance between how much money do we want to take, how much do we really need versus, you know, the amount of revenue we're generating, right? So, it's exactly. a, you know, the more, as, you, as we all know, the more money you raise, the more of your company you need to give away. So, um, and, and I think it also depends on, you know, are you, are you, you know, do you have your handout looking for that round or are there investors coming to you and going, yeah, we want to get involved in this, which then really gets you a better valuation for what you have. Yeah. So you currently have Charles about 12 employees. Tell me a little bit. I mean, you talked a little bit about some of the mistakes that you had made, and I'm really glad you brought up the ones that you did because, you know, what I heard you say was, God, skills and abilities are great, but boy, if they're not a cultural fit, you're in, you know, I've said this, said this for years. I, you know, I write about it a lot. It's in my book. You know, over 50% of employees um, turn over in the first 18 months for reasons having nothing to do with their skills and abilities. Right. So it's, it's, you know, my counsel is always, it's better to find somebody that, that is the, the right cultural fit for you. Um, even if you need to teach them a few things. Right. So let's talk about uh, your talent strategy, having moved forward from those initial mistakes that you had made and what you've done about that. And if you've made any, you know, any mistakes and why you think that has happened. Yeah. So, uh, I'm pleased to say we've, had less than 20% turnover in the uh, last 18 months. And um, I'd say with where we did have turnover there, there was a better cultural fit on the personality side. But maybe what I had underestimated is, and maybe it was maybe just to do with the pandemic, but I think we attracted... Uh, people who wanted to work for Legislate, but as a stepping stone to get to somewhere where they really wanted to work. And when they were offered those opportunities, they jumped straight away. So, so I think, you know, when we, when we hire now, um, you know, obviously we, we look for the personality fit, we look for the skill set, but we really try to understand, you know, what is the long term, what is their long term career plan or vision? And it's not that mm -hmm. we don't want to help our employees get there, but we ideally want employees that can grow with us for at least, you know, three years. Also, because if you think about, um, you know, what do you actually achieve in one year? Well, in your first year, you probably spend most of your time learning about the company, grappling. Obviously, you're productive, but you're not as productive as after three years. Um, you know, first year you're learning, second year you're starting to put into practice, and then third year you're taking off. So I think we can only, um, when we hire, we really try to understand, you know, is there a, a, what is the real reason why they want to join Legislate? And what is their long-term vision? And are we really the best company to help them achieve that? Yeah, very, very good. That's great that you've come to that. Um, and of course, less than 20% turnover is fantastic. Um, you know, I, I always recommend your goal should be less than 10%, but you're certainly moving. I mean, from where you were, you're moving in absolutely the right direction. What are your, what are your sort of, uh, you know, 
near term over the next 12 months hiring plans? Like, how do you expect to grow over the next year? So we probably will double over the next year. So grow to 25. And Mm -hmm. I'd say that will be 60% on the technical side and then 40% Mm -hmm. on legal sales marketing. Yep. And I'd say aside from the tech team, Yes, we have someone in legal. Yes, we have someone in sales and someone in marketing, but we don't exactly have mm-hmm. teams. And mm-hmm. I think where I'm quite excited is to to see those teams evolve because right. in especially in a tech startup, tech gets a lot of the credit. But um, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, if tech can't sell or market itself, then you know, tech doesn't go anywhere. So, so I think uh, we've we've been lucky right. to achieve quite a lot with those individuals, and I'm very excited to you know see those teams grow mm-hmm. over the next um, six twelve months. That's great. How do you how do you describe or define your culture, Charles? So, I think everyone in the team uh, gets on with each other, and um, I think the other you know interesting thing about our team that uh, I didn't mention or I haven't mentioned yet is our software development team is based in Spain and they go to the, they're all in the same office in Seville, Spain. And in Mm -hmm. Oxford is where we have our, um, you know, knowledge graph, legal sales and marketing. So we've got, you know, two, two locations. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, one of the first things that we've done from day one with the team is we have a, a daily standup where Everyone mm-hmm. from the you know from the company, regardless of their team or you know focus, participates because we don't want there to be a silo or a split between first of all Spain mm-hmm. and UK, or even between right. technical and sales. Um, right. Another thing that we do is you know whenever we get a customer, we have a bell and everyone in the team rings the bell, including technical, because you know as I mentioned, you know tech without sales doesn't sell, but when we sell, right. it's thanks to tech. So everyone, That's right. you know, gets to ring the bell and participate in the, you know, win. Um, and the other reason why I think that's really important is when we do get a, you know, prospect who is really keen to work with us, but maybe we're missing a feature, or maybe there's something that we need to develop before they're willing to consider us. Tech, you know, are really mm-hmm. open. You know, like okay, yeah, let's do it. We'll do it for them. No problem. No questions asked. And I think. Had we had silos, then you know tech might not understand. You know why does this customer mm-hmm. want this feature? You know, so so mm-hmm. I think we've got a pretty open culture, a pretty collaborative culture between teams. Everyone kind of provides input into each other. Um, everyone kind of gets on well. We we work hard, but we also you know have our socials um, and you know moments where we can not talk about work and. I think the the other aspect is we don't take ourselves too seriously, um, and and I think that was where you know I'd, I'd made mistakes in the past is um, you know on that you know hiring people who did take themselves seriously and that's great but at least for working with me that and the, and the early hires that I made you know that it, it's 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 not necessary, right? Yeah, that's really great. Is there any, would you say there's any outdated advice in the industry that you're in? In certain industries, people give out advice and you're thinking, oh, that's just, that's absolutely the wrong advice to give out. You know, nobody's doing it like that anymore. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think um, it's interesting, you know, where we are right now in, you know, post-pandemic or, you know, maybe we're still in the pandemic, but um, there is a strong emphasis on uh, remote working. And um, I think, you know, at Legislate, we've we've got two offices and we've got a, a team in Spain, but they have their own office and they go to the office. And I feel like... Right. Um, you know, there's, there's, there are definitely benefits to remote working, but I feel like because we are generally a young team and we're, we're building a rocket ship, um, in our case, it is really important that we, we go to the office and, and kind of work together. And, you know, obviously we do let, uh, people work from home if they need to, but we always find, and, and I think everyone in the team will recognize that it's not quite the same. And maybe it's because, you know, the yeah. companies need to be set up for remote working for it to be effective. But mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, everyone collaborates a lot more when we're all in the same room. And it's not mm-hmm. that when you're in a room, you, you just collaborate. It's that when you're in a room together, you do ask questions, you yes. do overhear things. And, you know, it then forces you to kind of think, whereas if you're working remotely, then you have less of that. And I, I feel like maybe if, had I been a bit more experienced as a founder, you know, with more, a longer career, maybe with a family, then maybe I would have been biased towards uh, working remotely. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like um, at least for the, the current team and, and makeup of the team, it, it's really important. And, you know, we'll see how that things grow, but I think um, everyone enjoys it. And, um, and, uh, I, I wouldn't say that's my controversial, I mean, maybe that's my controversial position. You know, I, I think that, you know, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking about, you know, so many companies, I think Airbnb is one that went to 100% remote. Well, you know, Airbnb is an established organization. You know, could they have done that when they were, you know, in their infancy, like you are, right? I, I don't know. And I think that many companies are still working their way through are we going to do full-time at home, full-time at the office, or a hybrid approach? And, you know, I've, I've worked with many, many founders over the years. And I had one in Boston many years ago who were like desperate, I mean, I wouldn't say desperate, really wanted to hire me. And, and they're like, you'd have to move to Boston. I said, well, that's never going to happen. <laughs> right? Now, um, I left the East Coast. I'm not going back. (laughs) And, you know, but what I will say is having that office in Boston, and I visited that office, it was important for what they were doing, just like what you're doing. And so I think it depends. You know, to just say it has to be one way or the other is foolish. It depends. Depends on your situation. It depends on the people. How are you going to handle the situation? And you know, you may find as you get as you grow bigger that you are willing to have some of these people be remote. Yeah, exactly. I'm not so sure what you're doing is controversial. Okay, it depends. Well, <laughs> it depends. Now, you know, if if you well, no, I'm not. I'm not. You know, sitting here to you know blow fluff up your skirt, but. I think that that it it just depends on the company. They were extremely successful and sold their organization to another large tech firm for over a half a billion dollars. You know, I mean, they had a great product, 
but the way they managed their whole company was fantastic. You know, and I've, and you know, again, not about me. I've had this conversation with the founder uh, because eventually he's going to find, he's going to found a new company <laughs> and he's going to have to walk mm-hmm. through this, you know, walk through that again and decide, you know, do we start, you know, all in the office? How do we do that? I mean, there is a lot to be said about being, you know, being able to walk over to your peer's desk and say, hey, you know, can I help you with this? Or can you help me with this? Or whatever that might be. Tell me a little bit about, uh, Charles, what your day-to-day looks like as a leader. So, I I mean, I I wake up early. I'm usually in the office between, you know, seven and eight, depending on um, how late I went to bed. And um, (laughs) the first, I, I tend to usually get maybe... 30 minutes to one hour by myself just to kind of catch up on mm-hmm. emails or anything that I, I need to do. And then I will check in with the team in Spain because they're an hour ahead. So um, right. it gives me time to kind of, you know, see see how things are. And I have catch-ups with everyone in the team every two weeks. So I might, okay. you know, squeeze in my sp- Spanish catch-ups then. And then um, during the day, it, it it's difficult also for me sometimes to really know what I'm doing because I, I do feel sometimes that I'm bombarded with emails or requests or everything. But um, I try to mm-hmm. spend as much time as I can finding prospects, finding customers. And obviously customers mm-hmm. find us organically, but I try right. to do the inorganic um, outbound because it's it's really important that, especially in startup communities, in London, that they know about us and that we are, you know, at the top of their minds as a solution. So um, mm-hmm. that's, you know, how I try to keep myself busy. And um, and then I will sign off probably around six, seven p.m. Have dinner, and then yeah, in the evening, I might uh, I might watch some TV, but I'll always have my laptop open in case as a client or anything. Um, so. <laughs> yes, I, I resemble that remark. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm maybe not a, a super exciting or a super balanced uh, life right now, but I yeah. feel like it's, as you said, we're in our infancy. Lots of things can go wrong. And, yeah, you know, just by just having that 24-7 uh, monitoring of the business, then it means that mm-hmm. I can capture opportunities it means that I do have bandwidth to work on other things and and try mm-hmm. and I think my, my biggest challenge is uh, stepping away from the day-to-day and trying to kind of think ahead. And um, and yeah, I, I, I use my weekends usually to try and catch up and then be able to take that step back and, and look ahead. So speaking of, you know, your weekends, and as you said, you know, you may, you may catch up on a little TV with your laptop, which is frequently, you know, what I do in the evening as well. Um, how do you, you know, what do you do with your free time with what little, with what little free time you have at this point? Well, I, I, I do actually have a girlfriend. So, um, you know, I, she okay. often is the one pulling me away from the laptop. Um, Good. And uh, we are foodies, so we do enjoy eating out and um, you know exploring new places so uh-huh. I, i'd say that's you know how we keep ourselves busy yeah very good so if um somebody listening to this interview is thinking wow this is you know a really cool company uh, i i i'd like to you know they're going to be doubling their staff i i'd love to maybe talk to them about potential employment opportunities what should they do so the best way is simply to reach out to me on LinkedIn or to 
contact us on uh, via our website, via email. Uh, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? I think you've covered everything. Um, and thank you very much for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about Legislate and uh, our journey so far. Well, uh, Charles Breck, founder and CEO of Legislate, thanks for your time. This was a really interesting conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.